Welcome to Cannabis in Focus, where you get straight facts and expert opinion about medical cannabis. Our guests ranged from medical practitioners and scientists to producers and patients, and our goal is to help you make informed decisions for your health and well-being. I'm your host, Miriam Knight, and today's guest is Mark Hashim, MD. He is a board-certified anesthesiologist and a diplomate of the American Board of Anesthesiology, who specializes in pain management. For the past 23 years, he has been helping thousands of patients manage their chronic, painful medical conditions. Dr. Hashim was one of the first physicians in the state of Florida to qualify with the Department of Health to be a provider for medical cannabis, and he is considered a pioneer in this complicated field and the leader in the Florida medical marijuana industry. Welcome, Dr. Mark Hashim. Well, thank you, Miriam, and thanks for having me on the show. Hopefully, we can uh, give some insight to uh, a lot of individuals out there and and uh, help them out or, or help cure what ails them uh, with regard to marijuana. Well, that's the name of the game, so let's dive into it. As an anesthesiologist, what aroused your interest in cannabis? And I'm guessing that you took, took some ribbing about hash being in your name. <laughs> no, I, I think that, that that's just the ironic twist to it. Um, actually, my nickname in high school was Hash, uh, but it had nothing to do with me, me uh, using uh, the medication. Um, what aroused my interest, quite frankly, was I was at a medical conference for uh, interventional pain management and I heard a a voice yell out my name and it was a friend of mine who was a vendor at the um, conference and he was introducing medical marijuana to the pain practitioners and I ended up spending most of my weekend hovering around his um, his site and asking him and his uh, cohorts from Colorado all about cannabis because I didn't know anything about it. So that uh, roused my interest. And when I got home from the meeting, I just decided to take it upon myself to do some research. And after I did quite a bit of research, I was really um, embarrassed and ashamed that I had not looked at this before and realized it had quite quite a few implications for helping my patients, not only with their pain, but also to help get them off of big pharma medications. And as a pain practitioner, it's ironic, but I can't stand narcotics nor benzodiazepines, the most addictive medications that that we prescribe on a routine basis. And I've always been in search of trying to find an answer on how to heal people and help them, yet not addict them. And this seemed to be fall into my lap to be the perfect answer for what I was looking for. So um, I just started just reading as much as I could, attending as much as I could as far as meetings. And when the course came about in Florida that we were allowed to take, I, I was one of the first to take it. And I didn't hold back. And I just started working on my patients and realized that over time, this thing was fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of ironic considering that cannabis has been around for many thousands of years and up until the uh, the early 40s, 30s, it was actually a part of the, in fact, one of the biggest parts of the American pharmacopoeia. 
So I take That's it correct. you never learned about it in school at all. Well, that and that, that's the problem, and that's what I'm, I'm actually working on in, in a way now. No, we, we, they never teach in medical school the endocannabinoid system. They don't inform us in residency about it. They don't teach us how to manage it, and, and um, I find that to be a big problem. So that's why, as a anesthesiologist, we're deeply involved in physiology and pharmacology, so it was a perfect fit for me, but it really made me give me a strong desire to want to go teach the younger generation of physicians and wannabe physicians about this uh, while I was managing my patients because I was learning that this was such a great uh, answer to a lot of problems and um, I was just dumbfounded that we're not taking full advantage of this plant to really get us out of this crisis that we're in. So part of what I've done is I've gone and I've spoken to uh, given talks to not only physicians, but also other class of physicians called residents who are in the residency program. And, and when, I, when I asked them, I, I said, hey, can I have a show of hands? There are 75 of them. Can I have a show of hands of how many of you out here have heard or were taught in medical school the endocannabinoid system? And nobody raised their hand. And then I asked how many of you were taught this in residency? Nobody raised their hand. And I said, how many of you are scared to death that when you finish your residency now or in a year or two from now, you're going to be out there and patients are going to ask you about mar marijuana as a treatment option and you're going to know nothing. And they all raise their hand. <laughs> and, it's just, and, and to me, that was, that was game on. Let's go. Let's delve into the physiology and the pharmacology. And, and watching them respond and, and how they absorbed it and learned from it just made me want to teach more and more. And, and really, even though I'm out there practicing it clinically, I, I will offer at any time to teach it at any level uh, to, to educate our youth um, and the ones that are going to be responsible for handling patients in the future. And so I, I just think that it's a, it's a great opportunity to really take advantage of our situation with the lack of knowledge and use those people that are most passionate about it to, to educate and teach those that want to learn. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned um, looking for a safer alternative to opioids, given the uh, horrific uh, price that we're paying in here, just here in the United States for um, opium, opioid addiction, for pain, pain management addiction. And oh, it, it, it's awful. It's, it's horrendous. It's, I don't know, I think in 2016, it was something like 35,000 deaths. I mean, overall, it's been more deaths than uh, all of our wars combined. It's insane. Oh, it, it, it is. People don't understand. 90, 91, this is according to 2015 statistics, 91 people a day die from an overdose of benzodiazepines or narcotics or a combination thereof. And, and that's why I was so anti-narcotics because I knew of the overdose risk. And when I found this, I'm like, this is the answer. This is, and, and it's the answer because it works synergistically with, on the opium receptors for the patients. It allows them to immediately decrease their dosage of, of their narcotics. And then as you start to get used to taking it on a daily basis, 
they naturally come off of their narcotics. And I can get them off of, off of these pain medicines in at least 30, 20, I would say five times faster than if I didn't have the cannabis on board with the patient because mm-hmm. it assists in the withdrawal symptoms and assists them with confidence to come off of their narcotics. Um, and, then, and then it works better. And then I return them, most importantly, to an improved quality of life. And, and that's really the, you know, I'm giving them something where I can sleep at night. It's safe. Nobody's going to die from this. And I am helping them get off of what can kill them uh, and what has ruined their family and their relationships with their significant others because of the impact that narcotics have. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you have to be sympathetic because uh, when, when you have extreme pain or anxiety in your life, you cannot manage your life. Nothing else matters but relieving that pain and anxiety. So um, finding some, an alternative to that as you're offering is life-changing. So, and, and it gives me far greater pleasure to see patients come in and have their significant others or their family members give me a hug and say, thank you for returning my spouse or my, my friend or my family member back to the way they used to be. And we're off of not only the narcotics, but other things follow. They get off of alcohol. Some of them get off of cigarettes. All of these addictive things that people are on can usually, we can usually use cannabis to help them get off of that. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, like you addressed, we're helping their anxiety, their anxious states, those states that the maybe the narcotics created or maybe the narcotics are used to cover up. But one way or the other, we give them more clarity in their life and we focus them on their enjoying their time now as opposed to chasing down narcotics or wondering about their pain or how they're going to live or how they're going to manage with this addiction. So yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful tool. Well, this is an interesting time in the country because people are waking up to the benefits of cannabis. And yet, um, as they're voting with their dollars, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, which to a great extent uh, is, is a big funder of political campaigns, and we know that there's a revolving door between it and the FDA. Anyway, they are getting um, bad news in terms of their bottom line. I was just reading a report from the research firm New Frontier Data that identified nine areas where medical cannabis is expected to have the most damaging impact uh, on their profits. And among those areas spending on treatments for chronic pain and post-traumatic stress disorder represent about 60% of the total. I mean, that's really big. And um, it was something like $25 billion uh, in 2016. Now, of those, and going back to what you just said, of those people surveyed, 39% said that they had switched because cannabis was had less side effects. 27% felt it was safer, and 16% said it was actually better at treating their symptoms. So this, this is really something whose time has come. 
Oh, oh we- most definitely. And I'm not surprised that Big Pharma is upset about that because if you look at the there's a couple things. If you look at the states that are fully legal, uh, some of the studies have shown that there's a 25% reduction in opioid deaths and up, upwards of 50% reduction in big pharma uh, prescriptions. Mm-hmm. So, so the big pharma is taking a big hit, and therefore they're reacting because anyone that gets a 50% pay cut is going to give a reaction. Now, the reactions are coming on multiple levels. Some of them typical big pharma trying to get into the marketplace, yet by, by, by manufacturing or synthesizing or altering the plant, which I don't understand why you have to alter it because it's so effective, um, or there's been some talks and I've seen some reports of some of the big pharma companies trying to get into the, the marketplace um, or with, the, with the cannabis in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So it definitely has, it definitely is going to have its, its ramifications, and it's going to be interesting to see how much pressure the, D, the big pharma has put on the DEA to keep it scheduled the way it is, um, which is, you know, Schedule 1, meaning no medicinal value, yet your same government has a patent that says it's an antioxidant and neuroprotective, which makes no sense. I know. Hypocrisy has no end in Washington. So getting back to more pleasant topics, as you researched cannabis, what conditions did you first start to work with it? I first started working on any of my patients with chronic pain, which was most of my patients. And after discussing with the patients their options, um, I really was able to get, I would say, upwards of 60% of the patients to convert over to using the cannabis. But the main ones I started with were chronic pain. But now most of my patients are a mix of not only chronic pain, but also a lot of PTSD, which, which really falls under just general anxiety. Because if someone has anxiety, they had to have been traumatized to create that anxiety. So now as I'm, I'm reaching out there and learning more and more about human nature and how positive responses I get in the psychological world, I have I've expanded and really used this a lot more on my patients with the anxieties and the PTSDs. Um, so now I'm, I'm, I pretty much have patients in every one of the qualified conditions in the state of Florida now realize chronic pain in and of itself in the state of Florida is not a qualified condition. In the state of Florida, they say you can have it for chronic non-malignant pain, but they define chronic non-malignant pain at the legislative level as pain that exists from an otherwise qualified condition. So it makes no sense to even add that in. Um, But what I typically do is I'll discuss with the patients their psychological um, problems and issues and most patients have a PTSD, which will allow me to qualify them. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, even uh, if you uh, just had pain, I mean, just experiencing the pain would also give you a lot of anxiety around it. So that certainly makes that's a lot a, of that's sense. That's an absolutely, yes, that's an excellent yeah. point, Miriam, because if you have pain all the time, you're anxious to go walk the dog. You're anxious to go 
socialize. You're anxious to go do anything that a normal person would do because you're inhibited by your chronic pain. Sure. So, so it does one feeds into the other. But now, what, what caught me most was watching the results come in. And, and as they came in, when I first started this, I was like, it just snowballed for me because as I saw results, I'm like, okay, now I'm seeing things work. Now I want to apply this more to my patients. And I really took it with a vengeance to try and educate as many of my patients as possible about the beneficial effects of cannabis. Now, you were a pain specialist to begin with. What are the main causes of pain in the body, and do they need to be treated differently? Well, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of causes for pain. There's going to be your typical traumatic events or uh, that lead to, let's say, a, um, a herniated disc in the neck or the low back, um, or uh, you have a degenerate, degenerative issues that happen over time, from chronic uh, illnesses or from chronic uh, arthritic conditions or chronic medical conditions that lead to painful conditions. So there are just so many different ways that one develops a painful condition. Um, and so when you get the history, you'll get an idea of what areas you, you want to affect. But the beauty of the cannabis is that when you have a patient in pain, it almost... I don't want to sound facetious, but it almost doesn't matter what the cause is of the pain because I know that I'm going to be able to have a positive effect upon the, the pain as opposed to when I'm doing interventions with, with my needles. Um, I have to know where the location is, et cetera. But because cannabis is going to work on so many different levels at many points within the spinal cord, the cortex, at the level of the problem, then I feel confident that I can use it for a wide variety of, of painful conditions, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, what, what I was kind of uh, thinking about when I asked the question was that sometimes you have inflammation, sometimes you have nerve pain or you know centralized pain. And as you that, say... That's cannabis has components in it that work at all these different levels. That's right. And so, yeah, you'll have neuropathic derived pain, which is pain from nerve trauma, nerve injury, or a chemical reaction or a degenerative reaction within the body that leads to a nerve-related pain. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to have an um, inflammatory condition that's going to, to lead to the pain. And the beautiful thing about cannabis is it's an antioxidant, it's an anti-inflammatory, it lowers cortisol levels, all these things that which contribute to pain, it's going to work on, on the side of working on the neural pathways that the cannabinoids are going to affect the release of the neurotransmitters, be it from the skin level uh, to the neural synapses in the spinal cord, all the way up to the thalamus, all the way out to the cortex. So you're going to have the pain pathways, and then you're going to have the immune system and the inflammatory system as well that are going to get involved to try and assist when we stimulate the cannabinoid receptors. It's interesting when you talk about the endocannabinoid system um, and, and all of the things that uh, affect it. Um, we're really trying to bring the body back into homeostasis, back into balance. And That's absolutely correct. 
so it, it just sounds like this is the ideal uh, medicine to do that. No, it, it is because we have to understand, and you've had it on one of your earlier podcasts, one of the other physicians who was, uh, did an excellent job was talking about the homeostatic balance that the body has and the endocannabinoid system maintains that balance. And a lot of times our patients have an, what we call an endocannabinoid deficiency where they're not producing enough cannabinoids. Um, it, it comes from fat um, or for whatever reason they have a deficiency and the, the phytocannabinoids are going to balance that out and then make it, put them in a more homeostatic uh, environment, and that's going to lead to nothing but positive things. Whereas if you're out of balance, you're going to continue to spiral down that slow path of, of internal destruction, if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, you have a, a kind of a general wellness approach to your patients. What complements cannabis in terms of restoring them to, to their life balance? Well, you know what? There's a lot of ways that I'll address the patient. And one of the beauties of having cannabis patients is they're typically an open-minded individual. And when they come in open-minded, then I'm going to refer them out to other avenues that I think will assist them. I will refer them to some of the holistic healers that I know. I'll refer them to a quality um, chiropractor that understands biomechanics if I need that. But also, I emphasize to them a way of healing themselves by really altering their diet and their nutrition because that is uh, really the root cause of a lot of conditions. So I want, yeah, I'm really into nutrition and physical fitness. And I've applied it to myself. And so now I use cannabis almost as a bridge to allow me to then introduce them to other ways of looking at how they treat themselves and trying to alter what they do with themselves to make their issues um, kind of heal upon the, by themselves, if, if you will. Not by themselves, but by changing what you do on a daily basis. Um, we, we are fraught in this country with obesity, with um, a significant rise of autoimmune disorders, and, and all of these things and disease states are really coming from what you consume and how you eat and how bad you eat or how good you eat will, will determine how well you live. And um, I just want to impose to the patient that, yes, this is cannabis, and yes, this is going to work, but let's, let's try to change other things about our lives as well. And let's take advantage of our situation now that we're off of these medications and big pharma drugs that have multiple side effects that are adversely affecting you. Now that we're clean, let's try to clean up our diet as well. And that's just other avenues that, that I introduce. And I get a feel for the patient on whether or not they want to explore that. And if I feel that they're very open-minded, then I'm going to delve into it because I, I believe wholeheartedly that it's extremely important. Now, a lot of uh, people, particularly in advanced years, um, could really benefit from cannabis, but they're afraid of getting high. You know, they, they come from the reefer madness generation. Um, are, there, are there effective forms that will not get them high? Absolutely. And most of the times we haven't really talked about um, what we, we utilize in the medical cannabis industry, but you 
I sometimes start just with a either low THC, high CBD concentration, uh, whereby we're going to stimulate the cannabinoid system that way. Or um, I will put them on a, what we call a balanced solution with equal parts THC and cannabidiol. And by doing that, the cannabidiol blocks the THC at the psychoactive center, yet the THC works in synergy with the cannabidiol at the CBD receptors. So we can easily manipulate the what's in the plant to give the patient the outcome that they're looking for. And, you know, most of the elderly patients, you're right, they don't want to, they're worried about being high, but they want to feel better. And you can utilize the cannabidiol with the THC and ratios to allow for that and, and afford them that improvement in their quality of life without them feeling too high. Um, lots of times I will throw in some indica strains even in those patients in the evening if sleep is a major issue um, and the cannabidiol by itself isn't helping, then I might throw in some indica right before bed to really assist them with sleep because if we're not sleeping, we're not healing and we're not repairing our bodies. So sometimes I'll do that as well. But to answer your question, it's so easy to use different parts of the plant um, and get results without them worried about feeling high. Well, that's very reassuring. Um, but, you know, still these, these patients, um, when they, I'm thinking of a state like Oregon, where we have legalized both medical and recreational marijuana. And so you go into a dispensary and you do feel like a stranger in a strange land if you haven't been, um, you know, if you kind of skipped the 60s. So um, what should you look for in choosing a product? Okay, if you're, let's say you're going, you're going, you're in a state that's fully legal, you don't want to, you want to skip the doctor's step, which, which I understand, and you walk into a dispensary, what should you look for is a great question. You should really start with, with just a, uh, something that has a low amount of THC and a high percentage of CBD. Typically, I would say somewhere around maybe 10% CBD and maybe 1% or less of THC. And just take a small amount of that, try that for a couple weeks and see what that does. If you're not getting much in the way of results there, Perhaps you have a bit of a cannabinoid deficiency, and if that's the case, sometimes CBD alone won't help, and there are physiologic reasons for that, then you might want to add in some THC, but you want a balanced amount and ask, ask your bud tender or whoever's in the store, you know, do you have products that have equal parts CBD and THC, which they are now manufacturing, and you can initiate your therapy there. But the key with anything when you do uh, cannabis or any variant thereof is remember this start low and go slow so mm -hmm. you always start I, I like using sublingual tinctures for my patients and I have that way they can titrate to effect and they start with a very low amount and every four days increase it by a small amount until they get results and I just encourage anyone out there just have patience and it will slowly work its way around for you if you take that approach. And you're not going to risk putting yourself in an awkward situation. But, you know, even if, let's say, 
you know, this is a, a side note to teaching or helping individuals that, that let's say somebody inadvertently takes too much THC and the elderly is high. Well, the answer is take, take cannabidiol. That's your antidote. And so with, with my patients, even if I put them on balanced solution or something with a little bit higher THC, I'll always make sure that they have some cannabidiol around to take in case they feel awkward because it'll get them out of that situation. That's interesting. So cannabidiol is, is what uh, people know as CBD, right? Right, right. And so it's, it's your antidote to being high. And, you know, I always, even if I put an elderly patient on a, what we call the balanced solution, sometimes when their doses get a little bit high, they will start to feel a little bit, you know, different or, or not themselves. And that's when I say just add in some CBD, cannabidiol. Mm-hmm. And um, and that usually works out really well for the patient. How quickly so, does it work? Uh, I, th- I know there are different forms, and what forms do you recommend for what conditions? Okay, so typically, let's take a typical. Let, let's start with if our audience here is is our let's say over the age of seventy and they're in pain. What mm-hmm. typically will work best for them will be a balanced amounts of THC and CBD. I start with a low amount and I just have them use sublingual drops, maybe 10 drops, which is a bit, in some of the cases here in what's manufactured in Florida, about five milligrams. And I do that about three times a day. And I ask the patient every four days to just increase it by about 50% until they get results that satisfy them. And most patients will settle around five to 15 milligrams three times a day. And that's typical. Um, but there are going to be variations off that. I also encourage that, if, that to use an inhaler, a vaporizer, so they can get the quick onset and then the sublingual at the same time will gradually um, come about as the vapor effect is starting to wear off. So we can we get a spike from the vapor and then we get a, a ongoing effect from the sublingual. And most patients will figure themselves out of when to, how to time it and when to take it. And what about topicals? Oh, yes. I use a lot of topicals, especially uh, on our neuropathic pains or pains where they have burning or, 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 or tingling or, or something like that. Um, I'll also um, use... Um, use it on any of our skin cancers. I've seen some extremely good results where the, where the cancers really disappear over time, especially squamous cells. Um, I've seen malignant melanoma get positive results. Um, so, so I will use it topically there. And speaking of cancers, uh, I do the same thing. I, do, I have a lot of patients with cancers, and I put them on our balanced amounts of equal parts CBD, THC, I try to titrate them up to about 60 to 90 milligrams a day. And I have seen PSA levels by treatment alone with cannabis go from 4 to 0.137. And, wow. and they've reported that the urologist can no longer find their, their nodules on examination. And on, by MR, they can't even find uh, the lesions that used to be there. And, and the oncologists are, are just beside themselves. And a lot of them that are so wrought in tradition fail to recognize that the cannabis was actually what worked, which is amazing to me. 
Well, but it does you know, have a, a they're, they're probably in denial. <laughs> well, yeah, and that comes from ignorance, and that that that's a you know that goes back to what I we initially talked about. The education has to be there. I, I get very upset with physicians that say, "Oh, that doesn't work. Show me the evidence." Well, you put me put cannabis in a situation where we can't provide you the evidence um, by traditional research studies, but I'll show you the evidence by what my patients report. And that's the most important thing is they're feeling better, they're healthier, they're happier, and they're not on medications that are giving them side effects. We're at an interesting time in this country where we have to, you know, we want what is good for the the greater good. Um, And yet uh, people want to make money um whether it's big big business big pharma um there is really a clash of interests between people getting better um on a relatively less expensive um natural medicine um and we're just going to have to find other ways of making money um and satisfying corporate desires for profits in ways that yeah, no. well it, yeah it's it's you bring up i mean that that you bring up a fascinating point because corporate money is going to get into this because they see it, it it's a big business um and it's kind of you know i wasn't around for when prohibition was being lifted but it's it, it's got that same look and feel to it you know does, that, yeah. that and the tobacco they're, they're industry wait, too. They're waiting to pounce. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Tobacco industry is probably not happy either, but they mm-hmm. they want to get in as well. I'm sure. You know. Well, the tobacco industry has had to reinvent itself. I mean, now we're even seeing the soft drinks industry when it's coming under pressure from the the research on sugar is trying to reinvent itself. So uh, it reminds me of Churchill saying that uh, about Americans that they will eventually do the right thing after they've tried all of the other alternatives. <laughs> That's perfect. That actually that 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 is that is cannabis in Florida to a T. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even I won't even go into what the, how bad the legislator is dealing with this, but uh, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> That could be that could be a whole discussion for another day, I guess. Well, I think um, we're going to have to have another day, uh, Mark, because this this has been fascinating, and I don't want to overload our listeners. What website can people go to if they're in Florida and they want to connect with your uh, practice? Sure. So the name of my practice is the Herbal Clinic MD. And the website is the triple W's, theherbalclinicmd.com. Simple as that. Simple as that. So uh, do you have any words of wisdom for people who are still kind of teetering on the brink and would kind of like to try you know, we hear a lot about CBD, that that's legal. And so can they still get relief from just CBD products or do they really need the marijuana derivative with a bit of THC? 
Well, you know, there is a bit of science to what we call the entourage effect, where you need some THC uh, along with the cannabidiol and all the um, all the terpenes and terpenoids and everything that which the plant has to offer. But, you know, we, we still get the CBD from, from hemp, uh, which is a strain of, of the cannabis, but it's important that they look at where is this product coming from, how is it manufactured or grown, um, you know, is it screened for, for um, pesticides. heavy metals, fun, mm. fungicides, pesticides, all those nasty things. Um, so, you know, I always just tell them, tell the patients, you can explore and experiment, and I encourage that, but just beware that, that you know, buyer beware of where you're getting your product from and do your due diligence and your, do your research. But, you know, the, the parting words to any patient considering this is, look, let's face it. Nobody in the history of the world has died from cannabis. Yet 400,000 people every year die from cigarettes. 100,000 people in the U.S. 100,000 die from alcohol. 20,000 die from legal drugs. And nobody dies from cannabis. So it's not going to hurt you to at least explore and experiment, and most likely it's going to help you and then allow you to get off of other medications that are giving you side effects. If you look up the side effects of aspirin and Google it, you're going to get 12 pages of side effects. You know, 100 people every year, 100 people, it might not seem like a lot, it's a lot to me because more than one is a lot, 100 people every year die from Tylenol. Okay, so nobody has ever died from cannabis. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're curious, it's not going to kill you. Whereas I can't say that about some of the other things you might explore. And it might very well help. Yes, it might. Thank you very much, Dr. Mark Hashim, theherbalclinicmd.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Miriam. I look forward to other podcasts in the future. I'm Miriam Knight for Cannabis in Focus. Goodbye. 